you would, please turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we'll pick up at verse 38. If you're here with us last week as we studied through that parable of the Good Samaritan, I noted how Luke was the only writer to record that in a gospel, record that parable. And in fact, now we've entered into a section of Luke Uh, continuing through the middle of chapter 18, where the events that we're going to see now are recorded nowhere else in Scripture. They're peculiar to Luke. Um, Even as Jesus models the Lord's Prayer next week, that we'll look at in chapter 8, or begin chapter, uh, the next chapter, excuse me, um, although a form of that prayer is contained in Matthew, that was probably a different occasion. Uh, Probably two different times that Jesus gave this model as a prayer. Um... And what we receive in this section of Luke, as we go now through the next few chapters, uh, through chapter 18, it's very practical stuff, folks. Very, very practical. There will be lessons on prayer, on legalism, on worry. Um, We're going to see multiple lessons from Jesus on the proper handling of money. So if you're planning an extended vacation, now might be a good time. Because as you read the, this pastor's report, especially the senior's pastor's report, um, how we think about money, folks, what we do with our money, uh, it's an accurate barometer of our spirituality. It really is. Um, so we'll discover in the coming chapters that Jesus had a whole lot to say about the topic and the Christian's use of money. Um, once a person said that if you truly want to gauge someone's spirituality or maturity in Christ, take a look at their check register. And uh, for you young folks, that would be kind of like a visa statement. Um, wouldn't that be something? Think about that for a moment. Maybe another day, not today. It's a completely different subject today. Uh, although very practical, very practical. It's a story about two sisters. They are Martha and Mary. Both loved Jesus, both believed in him. But when he arrives for a visit, their priorities seem to be just diametrically opposed to one another. There's a stark contrast between Mary and Martha uh, that's accentuated by the presence of the word but, which appears in this passage three times. I honestly thought about titling it The Three Buts, but then I decided not to. It's the contrast between the two sisters. It's not a very hard passage to interpret, but challenging to apply. And and every application is going to be different to each person. Uh, Please follow along as I read beginning in verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Well, if you're a Bible student, 
you probably already have correctly identified Mary and Martha as the sisters of Lazarus. Much later on, we're going to see that Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. They lived in a village just a little over two miles, right around two miles outside of Jerusalem. The village was called Bethany. Uh, We're not told how they originally met Jesus or how he met them, but we do know from the Gospel of John chapter 11 that Jesus loved all three. That same chapter of John also reassures us that this family believed both that Jesus is the Christ and they believed in a future resurrection. So it's reasonably safe for us to conclude uh, or presume this household is comprised of genuine believers, all right? Believers in Jesus Christ as Messiah. They had received their Messiah. In verse 38, Martha welcomes Jesus. Since there's no specific mention of Peter, James, and John, or other disciples, that may imply that Jesus arrived alone. We, we really don't know for certain. I'm sure, uh, surely Mary and Martha are there. It is likely that Lazarus is also present. Perhaps there were other friends or neighbors invited over to listen to Jesus teach as well. That could explain why Martha is in such a stir. The image painted for us is always Martha somewhere in the background, usually in the kitchen. I think we have that for you. This is the image portrayed. Uh, While Mary sits alone at Jesus' feet, that's not the image, but it might still be coming. In fact, on your screen here, you'll, you'll probably see, just give it a moment here. Do we have it, guys? They're looking. Maybe we don't have it. Um, Mary and Martha are there together in the photo. You probably um, recognize it very well. Mary is alone at Jesus' feet. Martha is in the background somewhere in the kitchen, and she's overlooking her shoulder with, with uh, Mary alone. We actually had the only, uh, only surviving photo of that event, but somehow we lost it. That's... That could be problematic, but we'll just keep moving on. Um, There we go. That's the only surviving photo of Jesus, Mary, and Martha together. And uh, that's that's what we always see, right? That's that's the the image that we're given. Um, But that scenario of Mary being alone with Jesus, it's probably unlikely. Probably unlikely. It's just as plausible or perhaps... Even more probable that her brother Lazarus was present and that Jesus was actually teaching a sizable group. Uh, It would make more sense then in verse 40 that Martha is in a complete unrest over the occasion, consumed with all of her preparations. Your translation may describe Mary as, uh, excuse me, Martha as distracted with all of her preparations, and that's because translators want to amplify how the Greek language uh, implies Martha's attention is taken away from Jesus. Her attention has been taken away from him. A more literal translation would be, Martha was dragging all around. She was distracted with everything. John MacArthur notes this in his study Bible, saying, the expression implies that Martha was in a tumult. With all of her preparations, Martha was evidently fussing about the details that were unnecessarily elaborate, unquote. So Jesus' rebuke directed towards her, towards Martha, 
In verse 41, it encapsulates her state of mind here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. The term translated worried, it it actually means to brood. It means to brood. She's an emotional wreck, folks. She's upset. Why? Is it it simply because she's got to divide a loaf of bread and some cheese with Jesus and Mary and herself, the three there together, alone for lunch? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, More probable is that the home is full of a number of guests, captivated all by Jesus' teaching. And Mary, she decides to, to join the group, to sit and listen, rather than to get sucked into Martha's world. Meanwhile, Martha attempts to become the impeccable host. She's probably roasting tomatoes in the oven and putting on some garlic and olive oil, and she's probably got three types of salsa and dips and all kinds of crackers and wonderful things she's trying to get ready, crushing nuts into a cheese ball. She's over the top, folks. Can that ever happen with a woman? (laughs) Now, what I think what she's doing, she's wanting to do out of service for the Lord, all right? Um, she wants to please the Lord Jesus. But it also could suggest she has kind of an obsessive character trait and uh, that rears its head periodically in Martha's life. So Jesus, with Jesus teaching the sister Mary, she's not allowing herself to get sucked into that, uh, into the nonsense. And she doesn't really even seem to care about what's happening with Martha. And this is where the first but comes in. Verse 39. Mary was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. This is the first major contrast between Martha and Mary. Mary, she's, she's chosen to sit and learn. She's listening to Christ teach, while Martha has chosen to fit her own mold, uh, one which people probably commonly expected from Martha, the busybody. And uh, I don't get any impression from this passage that we're supposed to uh, believe that Mary was somehow lazy. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, There was an open seat to sit and listen to Jesus teach, her Savior. And she decided, Mary had to decide whether or not she was going to um, fill the expectations of her culture, of her household, um, if that was going to dictate her individual relationship with Christ, would Mary conform to the culturally reinforced expectations of a woman at that time? Would her relationship with Jesus take a hind seat to what the culture expected? And uh, the cultural expectations in this day were pretty rigidly domestic for women. That's just being honest in Israel at that time. Uh, their culture distorted, in a sense, and in a way, the biblical persis, per, uh, purpose of why God programmed women the way that he did, women to excel in the home the way that they do. Many in Israel enforced artificial boundaries around the women that are not found in Scripture, which commonly discourage or even exclude women from positions of learning. We all realize... I think we all realize that women flourish in the home. They flourish in the home. Uh, This is why the New Testament, uh, in there, the Apostle Paul commands in 1 Timothy 5.14, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, 
keep house and give no enemy, uh, the enemy no occasion for reproach. Titus 2 verse 4, older women are to encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Through the totality of Scripture, folks, we're talking Genesis through Revelation. In Scripture, there's no confusing or blurring the lines between the genders. From the beginning, even before the fall, even before the fall, the woman was created as a helper to Adam. Eve was created to complement him, not to become him. There may be, folks, gender confusion in Washington, D.C., but there isn't in the Bible. Genetically, God has programmed and and designed the woman to be especially suited to displaying her intrinsic value through raising children and keeping a home. And if there is a distinction given to the woman by God, something that she is never to be ashamed of, it is that. There's no reason to ever be ashamed of, of that design God has imprinted into the woman's DNA. Men are not designed the same way. Folks, if you don't believe me, just take the woman out of the home for seven days and record the horror that she finds when she comes back seven days later. So the injustice here isn't that Martha was working in the kitchen. That's not the injustice here. And that's... That's not what this passage, as some liberals would like to see it, um, this is not Mary coming out as a feminist and just refusing to go to the kitchen, uh, being liberated from her genetically um, assigned role by God. That's not what's going on here. Instead, this is an alert. It's an alert to us against the distortion of the female role. A distortion that would suggest women are not to be included in biblical learning. That's a distortion. A distortion that says women do not illuminate or profitably contribute to theological uh, dialogue. That's a distortion. Um, Surely, the futility of that error, that women aren't into theology, the futility of that error is exposed by the commands throughout Scripture to raise up the next generation. I mean, come on, just for a second here. How could a mother teach her children effectively, if they're not allowed to engage in any meaningful theological discussion or discipleship. That that wouldn't even make sense. Learning must come before service. That's what we're seeing here. Learning must come before service. So Mary's chosen the, the better part. Mary has chosen the learning. She was, she was protecting her portion, her, her part with Christ, And Jesus had clearly accepted Mary along with any other learners that were there. She accepted Mary as one of his disciples, or he accepted her. Uh, Martha, confused and distracted in her busyness, in her busyness, had even come to the point of trying to take Mary away from that. That's how far away now Mary has or Martha has drifted. Um, She should have recognized that her compulsive behavior that which kept her away from Christ, those culturally enforced responsibility, maybe her personality, maybe a combination of all the above, um, those things were beginning to interfere with her learning. Interfering with her learning, an error had occurred. 
Folks, that's where Martha went off on the ditch. She's off in the ditch. Uh, Once her passion for serving, driven either from a compulsion within or maybe reinforcement from without somehow or influences from without, um, when they became a barrier between her and Christ, learning from Christ, she had forfeited her part. She had stepped away from her part. She should have been sitting at Jesus' feet with Mary. That's where she should have been, uh, and with whoever else was there present as well. So on this occasion, she, she's in the wrong. She's in the wrong. Meanwhile, Mary's protecting her portion with Jesus. Um, nothing she's doing is disrespectful. Nothing is improper towards Martha. She simply took her proper place of learning, learning from Christ, intently listening to his teaching. That's the place of a woman, folks. Learning from Jesus. You know, some will take an offense at 1 Timothy 2.11, which says a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. May I remind us that this is generally the attitude that is expected of any learner, from any of us uh, who are sitting under the teaching of God's Word. Uh, refer to Pastor Weiler here who goes to classes, sometimes goes to classroom uh, for a week in Atlanta with professors from Dallas Seminary and learning. There are men and women in their learning. I expect they anticipate you're going to sit there quietly in an entire submissiveness, right? Um, that, that, isn't, that isn't an undue burden. It's just not too much to expect for people to sit and listen uh, to God's word. Um, I did. I did fail at that one time, and that'll be for another sermon. But uh, uh, but no, we we learn, folks. We learn. That is exactly what Mary is doing. Exactly what Mary is doing. The final two buts come from Jesus. Martha here. She's just clearly frustrated that nobody seems to be paying attention to how hard she is working, and she petitions Jesus. Uh, to finally set the record straight between her and her sister Martha, or Mary, excuse me, to which he, he gladly obliges, by the way. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? I think there were more people than just Mary and Jesus in the room. All the serving. Um, then... Tell her to help me. Yeah, I love that. That's typical female fashion there. Martha herself supplies Jesus the answer. All right? Followed by her own command. You know, I've already determined, Jesus, that you must care. You must care for what's going on here. So the proper response is for you to rebuke my sister Mary. Tell her to abandon what she's doing. Tell her to rise up and help me. But. But the Lord answered and said to her, now we get his answer. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part. Mary thought that in all of her activity, or Martha, excuse me, I keep getting them mixed up. I apologize. Martha thought in all of her activities, all her busyness, all of her work, all of the distractions, she thought that she was serving Jesus. But in reality, those things weren't all that important to him. 
What she was doing wasn't the main thing. Only Martha had elevated them to important status. And all of these things she worried about, all these things, Jesus said to Martha, they had actually created a distance between her and Christ. Serving had become a barrier between her and her Savior. Can you believe that? Could that happen? Is that possible that while you're, while you're passionately striving to serve Jesus, it's possible to miss out on everything that he's hoping you will learn? Everything that he's hoping to teach you? But like Martha, is it possible to not pay attention, verse 39, weren't listening as Mary was to his word? To his word. I think most of us would agree that we don't sufficiently prioritize listening to Jesus. You know, he speaks to you today, just as he did to Mary. Right here. He is speaking. He is speaking. Scripture says, let the word of Christ, that is the Bible, let it richly dwell within you. That attitude is the essence of King David uh, in Psalm 119, a part of which I read to you earlier. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. This is, according to Jesus in verse 42, the one thing necessary. Listen to me. He isn't suggesting that serving isn't important. That's not what he's implying here. That would contradict Scripture. He is implying that genuinely serving him, genuinely serving in a way that is pleasing to God, will flow from learning his word. It will be a byproduct of the spiritual maturity that is gained through learning and listening to Christ. It flows out from learning. Service comes from learning and comes through learning. There has to be an adequate level of understanding of God's Word before Christian service is effective and edifying. You understand what I'm saying? Um, You can't continue long-term like Martha, just running in circles, without sitting to listen to what God is saying. You just burn out. Just be all service with burnout. There comes a point where you have to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he has to say so that you'll know what he's asking from you. Um, the best learning usually occurs in a group. Not always, but usually. Besides a, a few isolated occasions, Jesus with Nicodemus, Jesus with the woman at the well, usually he was teaching in groups. Then there's reading and memorizing the Word of God. That's also very helpful. But your familiarization with Scripture, however you achieve that or uh, absorb that, um, that will help you to know what God is asking you to do. 
There are so many ways to apply this, folks. Only you can apply this on a personal level. But what is it that is interfering with your personal relationship with Christ? Think about that for a minute. What is it in your life that is interfering with your learning about Christ? With Martha, it was the cultural expectation that she should remain in the kitchen. Perhaps it was her own compulsion. If she had some sort of... uh, Disorder in that way. Maybe that played a factor. I think she was most likely a, likely a compulsive host. Um, but can cultural expectations of a woman, can they today still wreak havoc with, havoc with Christianity? I, I mean, how about a culture that would tell a woman that in order to be a success, you have to work 70 hours a week? What about a culture that would tell you if you're not jet-setting across the country or living the life of a, uh, a successful woman or, a, or a, a model or an entertainer, if you're not achieving what the culture sees as successful, then you're not a success. Is, is there a culture telling us that today? That a mother who is at home with her children that is raising her family is not a success. That's being told to us all the time. That's being said all the time today that a woman needs to leave the home, she needs to uh, liberate herself and go out and win the world. That's what our culture says. Is, is that liberating to a woman? That's, that's not liberating to a woman. Uh, what would God's word say about that, your responsibility as a mother to the children? H- how about... With the men. Can careers interfere with their role as a father? As their, as their responsibilities as a husband? It, it isn't a lot different uh, with the uh, desire for success. You even see in ministry today, is, is it possible for a pastor to become so consumed with the success of his ministry that he ends up in divorce court? It happens, folks. It happens. Um... We cannot allow the expectations of the world or our own compulsions to supersede what God is asking us to do. That's a mother's responsibility, a husband's responsibility. We need to be looking to God's word to understand what God is asking of us. Is it possible to be thinking that you're serving God and just running yourself ragged in circles? Without ever actually being within his will, that would be Martha. Running in circles, not even being within Jesus' will. Is it possible to be listening to his will intently, with the best of intentions, trying to learn from him, and be forced to endure criticism for it? That's Mary. On a corporate level, churches can become so busy perpetuating ministries, continuing to perpetuate programs that they forget why they even started doing them. Folks, it, it's, it's possible for church members to frantically run in circles trying to preserve ministries that are producing little or no results. We currently have a pretty good handle on that, honestly. I don't think we have a big problem with that. But we're always asking ourselves a question as pastors. Um, are disciples actually being edified and multiplied? Is the 
the kingdom of Christ being proclaimed? Is it being expanded? Are saints being sanctified? Or or are volunteers just being burned out? It's easy to burn out. It's easy to burn out. Um, Individually or corporately, folks, we have to ask, is Jesus really that impressed with what we're doing? Is he really that impressed with what you're doing? What you're uh, running yourself ragged over? Or would he rather you just take a moment to stop and listen to him? Let's pray. Father, thinking of all that we do throughout our week, um, all the places we go, and uh, Lord, uh, many times thinking that we're serving you. Father, are we really? Are we really obeying you and what your word is asking us to do? Are we trying to fulfill some expectations that someone else has impressed upon us? Lord, as your church, we want to strive to honor you through every ministry, every work that we do. Lord, uh, we're not afraid to refine ourselves and And Lord, uh, dig in again with a new ministry. But we ask that everything that we're doing is within your will. That Lord, we're not just striving here uh, against the wind, uh, but that we are truly making a mark for Christ. Father, as uh, we seek to uh, win souls, to preach the gospel, to, uh, Lord, learn and grow even in our own lives, as so many of us probably thinking to ourselves, lack. Uh, Lord, there's so much to learn about you, and uh, Lord, that's, that's gained through your word. So I pray for each of us here, myself included, Lord, that our time in your word will be rich, that as we're listening to you corporately together, as we're praying in small groups, Lord, as we teach, that be with Sunday school, Lord, with children's ministry and Ruth with the women, everywhere that we gather together, that we're really intently listening. Father, help us. Help us to serve you and to know you and to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.